The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Amen. We have been on a journey through the book of Ephesians, and today we're coming near the end. In fact, next week will be our last sermon in Ephesians. And um, today the the, uh, title is Our Combat Uniform, and it comes from chapter 6, 13 to 18. This spiritual battle that we face is real. Let us not be deceived at all. He says in these verses, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our strength is not in ourselves. It's not even in ourselves together. It is in the Lord and his mighty power. And that's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. See, that's how powerful it is. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why was Paul so specific in this letter to address the occult? Because the occult was very active in Ephesus. Not only were they all these pagan temples, occult practices were very, very prevalent. In fact, recent archaeology, this is very interesting when I read this, has discovered that Homer was very popular in Ephesus. And some of the the stories and things that he wrote had deceiving characters and heroes. And these heroes became the replacement for the Lord Jesus Christ. Same kind of thing happens today. People cling to stuff that's without power, really. Achilles, for instance, was the good hero. He, he, is, he had great might and power in his armor and things. And uh, so one writer says this, They need heightened awareness of the vastness of God's power that is presently available through Christ, our ascended Lord, for them. Power they need not come through incantations, formulas, or magical rituals. See, that's why Paul wrote so specifically about this. And with such energy, really, didn't he? I like the way Watchman Nee said it. We do not try to gain ground. We stand. That's the key command. Stand. Stand firm. Stand. He says it again and again. We merely stand on the ground which the Lord Jesus gained for us, and we resolutely refuse to be moved from it. When our eyes are really open to see Christ as our victorious Lord, then our praise flows forth freely without restraint. The Christian life consists of sitting with Christ, walking by him, and standing in him. So now you know where I got my outline. I stole it from Watchman Nee, right? (laughs) Seated with Christ. Permanent truth. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Walking with Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and into the beginning of 6. And then standing for Christ is the way we said it. You see, verse 13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God. Underline in your mind the word full. It's complete. And it's one size fits all. 
Unlike David, who tried to take Saul's 52 long armor on and decided it didn't work very well, this armor fits every one of us. It's perfectly suited and you don't leave out part. Don't try to go to battle without your helmet on. Don't try to go to battle without your shield. You see, you need every part, it's complete. So that when the day of evil comes, when the faucet won't turn off, right? You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Again and again, that's the key verb that keeps coming out. Stand, stand, stand. And we've tried to explain that. There are many Old Testament pictures of God and Jesus with armor on. It is very interesting in Isaiah 11. It's a favorite passage of mine, so I'm going to read it with you. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Notice the branch is capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. Jesse, of course, was David's father. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and since Jesus is a descendant of, of David, that's why this is said this way. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus loved to gather with others and worship God. He loved to go to temple. He loved to be at feasts and festivals. He, he delighted in the worship and fear of God as it was demonstrated in his life. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So, all the armor that's described in Ephesians 6 is really the armor of Jesus. It, it really is. And, and, and that's what we need to understand as we dive into this passage. So here's the question I want to seek to answer today. What practical applications can we make from the armor of God? You know, we could easily take a series of messages and look at each piece, but we're going to look at all of them together in, in you know, macro speed. And um, we're just asking the question, what's this going to mean to me? I mean, I'm not a legionnaire. I don't dress up in such an outfit as this, but what does it really mean to me? So the applications is what we're, we're keen in on, okay? So let me read. I'll pick up at verse 14. What we're reading, stand firm then, and that's really the umbrella statement of all the armor. The purpose of the armor is to help you and I to stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, the belt of truth. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A big leather belt. And it's the belt of truth. And what does the belt do? It ties all the armor together. It keeps it all in place. Truth will do that in your life. Truth will keep your life together. 
It's the foundation of life. That's what's so beautiful about it. So truth promotes maturity. We saw that in chapter four. Jesus, as we just read, had a belt of righteousness and faithfulness. Jesus said, I'm the truth, and he lived it out 100%. He's the person, he is the truth. Not just he speaks truth, acts truth, thinks truth, he actually is the truth. So truth has now become a person. And the belt of truth, it promotes maturity. Remember earlier when he said, we don't wanna be tossed back and forth like little infants? And how are we gonna remedy this? How are we gonna mature? Speaking the truth in love. Remember that? Chapter four. Truthing in love. Paul took the noun and made a verb out of it. So it isn't just speaking. It's living the truth, thinking the truth, motives from the truth, in love. Wow, it's such a powerful, powerful, and wonderful picture. So we need to live by the gospel truth. This holds us together and it keeps us accountable, both. I look here and I, and I just do a quick survey of some of the passages in the letter that speak of truth. Verse 13, chapter one, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Yeah, it was a message of truth, the gospel of truth, that Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he's coming again. That's the gospel. And when you believe that, it's a gospel message of truth. Ephesians 4.21, when you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What's the focus of the gospel? Jesus. Jesus. Chapter 4.24, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor if we're all members of one body, oh, now we're, now we're getting down to how we show maturity by being honest, by being truthful, by being trustworthy. It's the fruit of the light. It consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, what has happened to our society? Truth has been redefined. It's all this guy's fault. Well, not totally, but he was a philosopher. He studied theology, never became a pastor. He disagreed with what he was taught, and he came up with a way to argue, which we call the dialectic way to argue, Hegel. You have a thesis, then you have a different opinion, a different idea, an antithesis. You put them together and you come up with a new thesis or a synthesis. And by that formula, you never have absolute truth. You're constantly in flux. And what happens? The mob rules. Whoever has the loudest voices or the most votes gets to win. Your opinion, my opinion, new synthesis, on and on it goes. And this is what is so absurd about it. The only absolute truth is, there's no absolute truth. Wow. But our society has bought into this. If you, if you analyze and you hear things, it's like this all the time. 
And that's why people are so confused and, 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 and drifting and sinking and, and all these things. Fellow gospels of the truth, put the belt on. Live in the truth. Tim Keller went on to his reward this week. A wonderful man. I didn't agree with everything, but he wouldn't agree with me either. It's okay. Now he knows the truth. He's in Jesus' presence. But tell, Keller used to teach the gospel isn't the ABCs of your life. It's the A to the Z of your life. And that's the blessing here. The belt of truth. All right, move on. Stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness, sometimes made of leather and sometimes of bronze, often a, a metal undercovering went. It's rather interesting. Um, John Bunyan in his uh, Pilgrim's Progress says when Christian takes on the devil, Apollyon, he can't turn his back because he doesn't have any armor on the back. Now, I don't know that that's totally true, but I understood why Bunyan wrote it because he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And when you're put in prison for preaching the gospel, you realize you can't run from the devil. You've got to take your stand. The breastplate of righteousness in place. The function is, of course, to protect your vital organs, but the application is this gives us security. We are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Look it up, Revelation 7, 9. They're in white clothing, blood-washed white. The righteousness of Jesus. We remain secure in righteousness of Jesus that was imputed to us. I don't just need a Savior who died for me. I need a Savior who lived righteously, perfectly righteously, because he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. And then his righteousness is credited to my bankrupt account. When you trust Christ, that's what Romans 4 tells us. It's a banking term. His righteousness is suddenly in your account. And how righteous was Jesus? All righteous, totally righteous. So when God looks at you today, and you're in Christ, you believe in Christ, he sees the righteousness of his son. He doesn't hold your sins against you. He chooses not to, because Christ died for you, paid the penalty, and his righteousness is now imputed to us. This is beautiful, this is wonderful. So now we seek righteousness. How many of us love Psalm 23. I just love the, love the phrase. He guides me or leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I can't help myself, that King James, right? But righteous ruts. The word is a rut. It's, it's what happens when a wheel goes through soft sand and forms a rut. There are good ruts. And they're righteous. And I want to walk in them. And you want to walk in them. Now that I have the breastplate of righteousness on, I trust in the imputed righteousness of Jesus, but I want to live righteously. So I seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Of course I do. And of course you do. And that's what we desire. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to know that we are righteous in Christ and that righteousness motivates me to live for him. To live righteously. Hmm. Next piece. Stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shoes that 
those Roman soldiers, those legionnaires wore, had studs in the bottom of them. Kind of like my old golf shoes that used to have metal spikes. Not allowed to wear them anymore on the golf course. Except if you're a pro, I guess. I don't know. When you take this position, your feet spread about shoulders width. Bend your knees slightly. This is the athletic position. When LeBron James drops a dunk, <laughs> anyway, um, when you're guarding him, this is the position you take. Like this, see? You're playing tennis, this is the position you take. You're playing baseball, this is the position you take. You're in the field, you take the position like this. This is the athletic position. You see it all over the place. And this is the position of the soldier. And with those studs in his feet, he's stable. And he's mobile, he can move. In fact, history says that because they had studded shoes, the Romans moved twice as fast as their enemies. Isn't that interesting? They could march twice as fast because of these studded shoes. Sometimes there were anklet, you know, coverings as well. Jesus is our peace. He says, these feet picture the peace that we have. And Jesus is our peace. We learn that in chapter 2 and verse 14. And we now can have peace with God. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Have is an ongoing present truth. When you believe in Jesus and you're declared righteous in God's sight, you have peace with God. For how long? Forever. Isn't that wonderful? That's just glorious. And then I can experience the peace of God. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, when the faucet won't turn off, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have peace with God, you can experience the peace of God. This is, all goes back to the gospel, doesn't it? It all goes back. And so now we're not troublemakers, we want to be peacemakers. In fact, in Romans 12, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. It's not easy to do, is it? But in the context is don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath and be at peace. In Colossians, he says, let peace rule your hearts. The peace of Christ. Let peace be the first thing you think of. Dad, in your home, think of peace, not war. Mom, think of peace. Even with those little toddlers that are driving you crazy. Mom and dad, think of peace. Let peace reign. Let it rule. Let it umpire your decisions. Wow, it's such a powerful, powerful truth. I mean, it's such a wonderful, wonderful truth. We desire not to be troublemakers, but peacemakers. Because our feet have been made ready. We're ready to share the good news of the peaceful, the peace message of the gospel and to live it out. All right, stand firm then. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is not the small buckler, the one that they use like this. It is a large shield, two feet by four feet, that you would hide behind. 
Sometimes they were made of bronze or metal. Sometimes they were made of leather. Sometimes they were dunked in the water so that when a flaming arrow would come, it would extinguish it. See? And then here's the really cool part. The Romans had a way to put them together. So an army could march forward with their shields bonded together. And Paul describes this as the shield of faith. This faith protects our integrity. We walk by faith. We, we live by faith. Jesus, look at this. I love, before we get to Jesus, look at what God said to Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who became Abraham, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Hallelujah. The Lord is our shield. Your very great reward. And he's shielding us today. Through faith, you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's all by faith. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's by faith in a good object. It's not faith in faith. That'll run out. That won't work well. We have, by grace, been shown that our faith is in Jesus Christ, the most trustworthy, faithful ever. And his word is trustworthy as well. Jesus lived by faith in the Father. He lived by faith in following the leading of the Holy Spirit when he was on the earth. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So we live by faith. We, we don't live by sight. We live by faith. And that's how we should live. <laughs> that's, that's our desire. Actively trusting in God and his promises, which never fail. That's that shield of faith. So what fiery dart's been shot at you lately? Which ones hit you this morning when you woke up? I've been having so many new aches and pains. I'm like, what is this? So I believe the commercial, and I ordered some Omega XL. So I got fish oil from New Zealand. It's going to cure all my aches and pains. My wife says, there's something wrong with you. I know, but I'll try it. Shield of faith. I found this some years ago. Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book, The Serpent of Paradise. And I may have shared this with you before, but if I did, I'm not going to apologize because it bears repeating. In the Genesis deception account of Satan with Eve, who was deceived, you see the seeds of many of the lies and the fiery darts that are around today. You will not die, the serpent said. He denied the word of God. And how many people believe in reincarnation today? It's a lie. It's a Hindu lie. And there's no accountability. I'm just going to come back as a flea. And how many people talk like that? It's a lie. It's not true. It's pointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. That's the truth. Reincarnation is not true. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You know, we're seeking experiences. We just want experiences. I'm going to tell you, if you just want experiences, the devil's got lots of tricks for you. You just chase after experiences, he can give you experiences. And they may appear good at the time, but they're not good. They're lies. You will be like God. 
What a lie that is. Pantheism, everything's God. This, this is God. This is not God. God created the universe. He's imminent. He's close to us, but he's also transcendent. I'm not God. You're not God. God is God. Everything being called God is a lie. But we hear it today. You hear a lot of people talk like that. Knowing good and evil. Well, then we go back to Hegel, the whole relativism. I'm going to decide what's right for me. I'm going to say this is good. I'm going to say this is evil. You see, that's that whole relativism problem. And then finally, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, hedonism. Just chase after what's fun. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. And again, these are lies that are all the way back in the garden that are still being redone, reshifted, redefined. And uh, it's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. How do I extinguish it? By the shield of faith. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 13. It's called the How Long Psalm. It starts out with four statements of complaining. How long? How long? Finally, he turns to the Lord in prayer. It's a very short psalm, but he turns to the Lord in prayer. And then he says, and this is what I love, verse 5, but I have trusted in your unfailing love. How many times, beloved, have you had to just grit your teeth and say, okay, everything's crazy, whatever, but I trust in the Lord. I believe on him. I'm exhibiting my faith and trust in his promise. See, that's what it is. All right, let's move on. Stand firm then with the helmet of, take up the helmet of salvation. This sort of suggests you're going into battle, you put the helmet on. There are a myriad of kinds of helmets. Uh, the research is just amazing when you look at all the different kinds of helmets that they had. Some of them had face masks, some of them cover the back, but, but basically it's protecting the head, right? It's protecting the brains, right, from injury. Some had chin straps, all kinds of different things. The helmet of salvation increases our ingenuity. When we start thinking Christianly, when we really start activating the mind of Christ, it's amazing the insight God gives us because the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. That's what it says in Colossians 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so... If I want to grow in my salvation or the helmet and think Christianly, I'm called to do that. These are Peter's final words. I love that. These are the last words Peter wrote before he went, and, and they, they were going to crucify him. And you remember church history says he was crucified upside down. Yeah, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. Put my head down. That's what he said, right, according to church history. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. What did you do this week intentionally to grow in wisdom? To... to to have your mind transformed by the power of the gospel. To think Christianly. All right, we're almost done. 
the last one, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword was used, it's the only offensive weapon really in this list. It is not a large flat sword. That's the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth in judgment that we see in scripture. This is a dagger. It's something the Romans developed for close in combat, the dagger, to run through the lies of the enemy with the word of God. Oh, don't you love Hebrews 4? I do, for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Have you ever been reading the Bible? Ah, God saw me. It's a blessing, beloved, that the word penetrates like this. Helps us, convicts us that we might get right with God, that we might repent. See, that's a blessing. It's a double-edged sword. It either blesses me or it convicts me. And I love that it swings both ways. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so, Jesus is the word. He came and lived among us. The word, as Ed had just quoted, the word was God and became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the word. And so we're called to be strong in the word of God. I love 1 John 2. Young men, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Just as Jesus overcame the lies of the devil by quoting scripture, so should we. The more familiar we are with the word of God, the better. We're gonna celebrate with our children tonight in Awana who are memorizing scripture. We're gonna have Awana for adults. Maybe we should call the elders up here tonight. Make them recite some scripture. Jesus wept. I know, okay, I heard that, right? But isn't it exciting that our kids are devoting themselves to learning the word of God? And when your kid's doing it in your family, you gotta do it too. That's a good thing. But may we understand this. Be strong in the word. Let it transform us, as Romans 12, 2 says. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, the reprogramming of the computer of your mind with the truth of God's word. It gives you incredible agility. You, you are able to defeat the lies of the enemy because you know the truth. You can spot the lie and you can, you can run it through with the truth. So the navigators used to have this, this picture and I found it interesting that this particular version has six fingers. <laughs> I always thought it was five, but now they added a ply at the end. So you can listen to the word of God, you can read the word of God, you can study the word of God, you can memorize the word of God, you can meditate on it, which means to mull it over in your mind, but ultimately the key is applying it. Apply the truth of the word of God. God, the sword of the Spirit. And so it all culminates in verse 18, and we'll probably look at this a little bit next week as well. Notice all the alls in the passage, okay? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of 
prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In some ways, all the armor prepares us for prayer. Really, that, that's, that's the amazing truth of all this. It's our greatest weapon is prayer. The devil really shudders when the weakest Christian is on his knees because he knows he can't defeat that. Hallelujah. May we be people in the armor praying. I love the way Tozer said it. You know, I met Tozer in seminary. Became my good friend. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can't, can handle me. He's got judo I never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I am joined. Amen. He can't handle the one to whom I am united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. What a blessing. So what's our review? We looked at applications of these truths. The belt of truth promotes maturity. The breastplate of righteousness gives us security. The shoes of peace offer stability. The shield of faith protects our integrity. We're people of faith. The helmet of salvation increases our ingenuity, and the sword of the Spirit provides agility until he comes. And he comes on a white stallion and defeats all the enemies. We're going to see this, beloved. We're going to see it with our own eyes. And all the lies will be done with. And all the sorrow and all that sin has brought will be gone. And he will reign. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you today. Thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the truth. The one who invites us to believe on him and that faith alone gives us all that we've seen in the armor. All these blessed applications come to us. Father, help us to be wise in dressing ourselves in the armor every day and really living out the strength that you give us in these ways. What a great picture for us. Father, I'm just praying right now that the Holy Spirit will apply this to every person here in this room, everyone listening online, however, Father, you choose to apply it. Some need that security re reminder. Some of, them, some of us need that ingenuity. We've been trying to figure things out and not relying on the Lord, and you have ingenuity for us. Lord, just apply it. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. We love you because you first loved us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.